Hey, welcome to the Afikra Podcast. My name is Mikey Menna. We have another episode of Quarter Tones for you, and our special musical guest is Kanun Virtuoso Firas Zrek. I hope you enjoy the episode. If you'd like to attend these events, go to our website, check out the RSVP page. And as always, please consider supporting Afikra. Go to afikra.com support and join the hundreds of people around the world who make our work possible. Welcome, everyone. My name is Mike Yimhenna. I am the moderator for today's Quarter Tone event. Our special guest is Firas Zreik, a Palestinian kanun virtuoso, composer, arranger, and educator based in New York City. Born in Haifa to a musical family, his mother, Emel Murkus, is an internationally renowned singer. He started playing music at an early age when his talent quickly accelerated and gained local and then national reputation after winning first prize at the Nazareth Competition for Musical Talents. At the age of 18 years old, Firas received a full presidential scholarship for the Berklee College of Music, their most prestigious award. He then moved to Boston to 2015, where he studied for five years, graduating with two bachelor's degrees in performance and jazz composition with high distinction. Firas has worked, recorded, and performed with international artists from the, of the highest caliber, such as Roger Waters, Shankar Mahadevan, Shriha Goshal, uh, Simon Shahim, Bassam Saba, Amal Murkus, and many, many more. It is a huge honor to have Firas on the program. Firas, welcome to Cortisones. Salam, Mikey. Salam, everyone. It's a quite uh, cosmopolitan uh, podcast tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's really, really wonderful to have you here. Likewise, thank you. So, Firas, I'm really, really curious about uh, the first question that I wanted to ask you is why the kanun? It's the it's the first question I wanted to ask you when I invited you on the program. Most people are not. In immediately drawn to this and so I guess the question is did you choose a kanun or did the kanun choose you <laughs> it's the eternal question I guess uh, yeah I don't know ever since I was a kid it just captured my eyes and ears um, ever since I was a kid so I guess it's just it's like love something you cannot really explain that easily why you choose a certain person why you choose a certain thing I chose the kanun um, well before the kanun I, I actually played cello and those two instruments were like my main uh, attraction ever since I was a kid. And after spending three years on the cello, you know, studying classical and playing like some of the Baroque repertoire as a kid, I did this amazing shift and transition of my career or of my musical development that I'm really grateful for doing so. And I found that the Kanun was a, a much more expressive tool for myself. Um, Especially, you know, when I produced my first quarter tone, the name of this uh, series, yeah. which is, you know, a characteristic sound of uh, the environment, characteristic sound of the of my natural habitant, you know, my, this uh, the Middle East or uh, the East or whatever um, region that these kind of tones uh, play in. So to me, when, when I produced this sound, you know, I don't know, 15, 16 years ago, it was quite a feeling that after three years of playing Baroque music, which is great and fun and, you know, it was a great musical basis, suddenly I was able to play music from my own homeland. And that was that was substantial. Did you feel like the cello, I mean, the cello is fretless in the end of the day. That's true. Um, and so did you feel like there were limitations or it just isn't an instrument that is part of the traditional instrumentation of the music you grew up with? Well, there's definitely, you know, examples of... Uh, 
musicians who play cello and utilize it for different stylistics, uh, stylistic words such as uh, Arabic music. But you know, in its essence, it's a uh, it comes from the West, and the sound and the training that I got at the time was um, strict, strictly Western classical. Yeah. And then suddenly you you pick up this instrument, which is so organic to the region uh, by the sound, even you know, regardless of the intonation, regardless of the music that you're actually playing, the sound itself is so organic to the environment that you know it made me feel at home. Yeah. But then again, you know, I don't know. I uh, later on recently, I've been realizing that it's not so much about the instrument. It's 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 more about your musical ideas. Uh, the instrument is just a tool to express. You know, so sometimes I'm on the piano and I have this great ideas that I love that maybe I didn't have if I was just playing kanun. Same for the oud. Same for even you know, uh, humming or or whistling or whatever musical tool, musical device that you can get your hands on at the given moment when you have this musical idea. So I think. Yeah. The Kanunis might be my most expressive, per se, but it doesn't have to be, you know, my only one. Sure. You know, I'm always interested in the way people write their bios. The first, the second line of your bio is born in Haifa to a musical family. Um, <laughs> and I'm curious how much that sort of shaped the way you interacted with music. And if it's impossible to imagine growing up anywhere else in any other family. Yeah, I think it would, it would have been absurd to just leave that part out of my bio because it's, yeah. it's a substantial, fundamental part of my musical upbringing. Yes, I, I was born to a musical family. My mother, Amal Murkos, uh, is a singer and songwriter. And my father, uh, he, you know, he's an architect full-time, but he's also a composer and old player. So I grew up in, in this niche of uh, creating music. When I was born, she was working on her first al album back in 1995 uh, to 1999. So, you know, I'm, I'm used to, I got exposed to being in studios and concert halls uh, and rehearsals and jam sessions, all of these kind of uh, activities. It was, you know, kind of a daily routine, family routine, family time. <laughs> yeah. So I think that that's probably, you know, that probably played a, a huge role. Um, in addition to the support that, you know, my parents gave me in pursuing music as a kid and then later on as a, as a professional musician. So um, I think that that played a fundamental role in, in my musical development, definitely. What was what was in your CD player or on your iPod as a, as a teenager? Were you rebelling and listening to Metallica and Tupac? Or were you <laughs> um, really eating a, a square meal of the classics, uh, the classic sort of Arab canon? Well, I think I, I got exposed to a lot of a lot of stylistic genres. That was, you know, whenever I went to bed as a kid, my mother would, would you know, put some earphones and just start some music from Azerbaijan or jazz or classical or from Argentina, whatever uh, music that they listened to, you know, I immediately got exposed to as a kid. But yeah. then later on, when I started developing my own tastes, I, I had this rebellion period, but it was more to the, um, <laughs> to the other side of the planet. What did you the... listen to? What, what did you rebel <laughs> into? Um Kalthum and Erli Abdul Wahab in the 1930s. <laughs> Nice. And that's like, yeah, uh, that was that wasn't something that I grew up with. It just it caught my attention. I just I dived into it. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, parallel to that, I was, you know, listening a lot to, to flamenco, Paco de Lucia, a lot of um, uh, jazz, definitely Western classical. And later on, you know, I started had I had this more uh, in-depth uh, collection of uh, of music uh, tastes. 
but uh, Metallica, not so much. Yeah, I, I consume <laughs> it. I appreciate it, but no, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say so. Okay, so since we're talking about musical language, the first interlude, and for those of you who are new to the series, Quarter Tone, the, the, the format of the series is supposed to be based off these like old school radio shows where an amazing musician is in town and he stops by the radio show to play a little bit and talk about their, uh, their work. So there are going to be three interludes and each one we'll talk about um, for a few minutes afterwards. So the first one you chose is uh, Taksim. So give us uh, maybe one sentence about what, what you're going to be playing, and then we'll talk about it afterwards. Uh, I'm going to be playing whatever comes to mind. That's, that's my idea of Taksim. Amazing. Um, Firas, wow. What's the first thought that comes to your mind once you finish? Uh, <laughs> whether to let the sound sustain or shut it down. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I don't know. It's uh, that's a good question that I never thought about. It's um, specifically in a taksim, not in a you know a, a prepared uh, composition. It's this 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 immediate brainstorming of ideas that comes after you know uh, years of uh, pursuing this language. Mm. Um, so it's like I don't know. It's like any improvisational genre, whether it's you know freestyling as a hip hop artist, whether it's uh, zajal, whether it's poetry. Whether it's uh, you know uh, dance or uh, theater, an improvisational act takes you know a huge amount of, of of intellect energy. That you know by the time you're done, it's, 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 there's very little to think about. I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm curious. In those in those moments, do you feel drained or you feel energized? No, energized, but not to the extent to you know think about anything. It's it's that I think that's the beauty of it. That it's, it's kind of resets resets the mind. Nothing is, everything yeah. stops, and that's where you are in the being. I think, yeah. So, um, can I ask you some basic questions? Let's go. So, uh, how many octaves are on the kanun, the uh, one that you have right there? Three and a half. So that's one, two. And then you got two notes above and three notes below. So it's exactly three and a half octaves that goes from uh, G2 to E6 in okay. musical terms, in terms of uh, register on a piano. Okay. And is it, is there, is there a sort of a, like a left-handed kanun or it's always that shape? I've never seen a left-handed kanun, but you know, I can imagine one, but I know left-handed kanun players. Okay. Uh, just like, uh, you know, unlike the oud, I would say, or the guitar. Yeah. You know, oftentimes you find a left-handed bassist that just flips the instrument and then... Like Paul McCartney. Yeah, so they can play with yeah. their dominant hand. Others, they just, you know, they just teach themselves it. to play with the right hand. But, you know, it's, it's funny that you, you mentioned the left-right hand and the kanun because it's, um, that's the eternal um, challenge of playing this instrument. The left hand has two functions. So it's nice yeah, to be exactly. a dominant <laughs> player. Because you're playing and then you're um, altering the pitches using this system called leathers or mandals or in Arabic we call urab. Uh, I have 12 of those on each string. And what they do essentially is they shorten or elongate the string. And you know, in, in basic acoustics or physics that the shorter the string becomes, the higher the pitch and vice versa. Just like a guitar, when you have an open string, like an open G, and then you, you, know, you put your finger on a fret, what you're doing essentially is shortening the string because now it starts here. Yeah, raising right? the pitch. Raising the pitch. So you're doing that, except you're doing it in micro doses, meaning uh, you have 12 on each string, which means each one of them equals one twelve of a tone. So here's, here's a whole tone going in each orbi, each mandal. So that was me going from, you know, B natural to C sharp, which is a whole tone. Um, so in order to move a half step, you move six of those. So just to visualize wow. on the piano, you see a, a white key, you know, adjacent to a left key. So you want to you wanna visualize, you know, like 12 red keys between two white keys, basically, you know, because you have all yeah. these notes in between that don't exist on the well-tempered instruments. Okay, let's move on to the second interlude. So tell us about what this is and um, why you chose yeah. why you chose this. Uh, you're talking about Zawrak? Zawrak, yeah. Yeah, Zawrak is uh, one of my singles, one of my pieces that were uh, 
released last April as part of my uh, solo EP, which is also called Solo. Uh, and this work uh, came, you know, unplanned. It wasn't on the agenda. I was planning to create my bigger album with, a, you know, with my band, get in the studio back in 2020. But then because of the lockdown, all, everything was shut down. You could not meet anyone. So this came out as a... It was born out of the circumstances because there was no one to play with. So I did a solo album. So Zawrat is uh, is actually, I think, uh, a second piece on that album. And okay. it, it incorporates uh, two main scales between the Ajam and the Hijaz and the Sabah. Okay, great. Take it away.
Wow, Firas. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, Mikey. <laughs> That's incredible. Appreciate it. Yeah, this was actually a, you know, a condensed version of the, um, of the one on the album. So this is, people can go and stream this. Yeah, it's on YouTube, Spotify, and Gami, everywhere. Uh, it's called Zawraq. It's part of an EP called uh, Solo. Yeah. I also lately re- released it as a music video, actually. Okay, I want to leave time for the questions at the end. So let's do this quick Q&A. I'm sure there'll be, uh, there's a bunch of questions already in the chat. So All right. rapid fire. Um, what are you listening to right now? <laughs> I've been listening a lot to Aziza Mustafa Zadi, uh, amazing uh, pianist from Azerbaijan, based in Berlin. And cool. my favorite piece is uh, Dance, of pa- Dance of Fire. Okay, great. Who would you love to shadow for a day, past or present? Uh, that's a good question. I think uh, Riyadh Sumbati, back in Cairo, and uh, Paganini. Nice. <laughs> What do you think people most misunderstand about your work? I hate when people try to think that I'm doing uh, what they call word music. I really uh, despise yeah. this word. I think it's um, it really, you know, it, it, it's box you in this Eurocentric uh, mindset that yeah. everything that's non-Western has to be world where, you know, we're much larger than that. So yeah. I think I, I hate being boxed in something doing that this exotic, authentic music from the Middle East. It's, I think it's more than that. And then what artist from the past would you be your dream collaborator? Paco de Lucia. Yeah. So we have a couple questions. Um, I'll call the questions one by one. Um, we'll start with Jan Marie, who is my mother and also uh, the musician in the household oh, that I grew up welcome. in. So um, mom, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, go for <laughs> it. Okay, first, I'd like to thank you so much. What a gift that you've given us this evening was absolutely magnificent. I'd like to ask you, how old were you when you started to study the canoon? And given your knowledge of music already as a cellist, how many years did you study to reach the level of proficiency to then go on to Berkeley School of Music? I started playing canoon at the age of 10 years old. Uh, and I started playing cello at seven years old. So that was three years and then Kanun. Then I went to a conservatory for six years, I guess, or that would be, no, that would make it eight years until I graduated high school. So that was my, you know, uh, professional training up to Berkeley. And then Berkeley was an additional five years, but it wasn't, you know, Kanun. It was, uh, I did two bachelor degrees in uh, jazz composition and in performance. Um, so I think definitely like that's 70% of my life. I was learning music and I'll keep learning music. It's an unendless, um, you know, process. But definitely being a cellist has um, helped immensely in shaping my knowledge, shaping my discipline and, you know, the general sound of other musical cultures. Thank Great. You. Thanks so much. Um, so, Muhammad, you're up next. Uh, thank you very much. I very much enjoyed it. I'm calling from Charlottesville, Virginia. Yeah. Uh, my question is about the names of the maqams. When you say Nahawan, Rust, and the rest, could you say something about the origins of those names? Yeah. And also <laughs> the influences of the neighboring musics, Persian, Turkish, maybe on maqam music particularly. And I'm thinking of Halab as a, as a center of maqam uh, music. 
I think in, in, in regards of the names, most of the names that are used uh, nowadays in the Levantine Egyptian uh, region are Persian names. And if we have any Persians in the audience, uh, please uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But most of these words, you know, Shahnaz, Nahawand, um, a lot, many of them are Persian. But then, then again, many of these words describe locations like Hejaz, you know, like uh, Asfahan, like... Um, Kurd, for instance. So a lot of the names come from a geographical uh, location. Others have different reasons, you know, based on tonality or based on the period. But it's definitely something that's worth uh, researching it. Uh, as to the neighboring uh, neighboring uh, influences, it's just it's not only geographical influence; it's also political influence. You know, when the Ottomans were in the area on the region for like five centuries, you know, the influence is inevitable. So, and you mentioned Aleppo, Halab. Halab is, you know, is basically the uh, Mecca <laughs> for that kind of uh, stuff. Uh, the Turkish influence is so heavy on Halab and vice versa, of course. Uh, not only music and cuisine as well and other uh, cultural aspects. But, you know, if you go to Damascus, it's slightly different. If you go to, to Cairo, it's different. It's probably has different uh, influences from whatever uh, geopolitical circumstances were in that region. If you go to Baghdad, it's definitely a, a different game. Baghdad, like the Iraqi music, is definitely more influenced by Persian, some Turkish, uh, whether it comes to, you know, the Makamic language or the instrumentation, you know, such as Santur or the Joza, stuff like that. Uh, as for my region, which is the Levantine, a lot of the musical forms are Ottoman, such as Sama'i, such as, uh, you know, when you say Dulab, when you say Sama'i, the whole uh, uh, notion of Fasil, you, you have a whole protocol on how the event should go. You know, you have a Sama'i, you have a Taqseem, you have a Mawal, and then you have a Mwashah or whatever uh, order that is. So a lot of the forms are Ottoman, but a lot of the forms are also Andalusian. Some of the forms are Eastern European, like uh, the Longa, for instance, and two, four. So I think it's, it's a melting pot of cultures that, now we say this is Arabic music and, you know, also the word Arabic music is a very large term that has its own specifics, I would say. Great. Amazing. Um, so I just want to remind everyone, please uh, check out our podcasting platform and the YouTube page. This uh, recording will go up in a few days. And so if you have friends who missed this, feel free to spread the word. Firas, thanks so much for making the time. Thank uh, you, Mike. This. this was My a pleasure. huge huge thrill for us. Um, and hopefully um, we can have your mom or anyone else that you recommend to be on uh, the, <laughs> the uh, series in the future. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mikey. And thank you for Afikra and Quarters. I've been uh, following you and your activities over the past year. And I think it's fantastic. Uh, keep it up. And I want to thank so everyone much. who tuned in today. It was a great pleasure. Okay, everyone. Peace. Uh, be well. Ciao, ciao. Peace. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to watch the full uncut version, go to youtube.com slash afikra. There you can see the full video versions of these podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, go to afikra.com where you can learn about our Zoom events, our live events in 30 different chapters around the world, our social media presence, and our podcasts and YouTube stuff. You should know that everything we do is all towards a mission of converting passive interest in the histories and cultures of the Arab world into an active intellectual curiosity. By listening to this, you're a part of that movement, so thank you for being here. 
If you'd like to support our work, go to afikra.com support and join the hundreds of people around the world who make this work possible. Thanks. Thank you.